Hi, my name is Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. So today, we're looking at Jesus. We're, we're fixing our eyes on Jesus today. And uh, what we've been talking about over the past few weeks is experiencing the real Jesus. That a lot of us, we've, we've grown up knowing who Jesus is. We've, we've grown up in church. We know all the stuff. We've heard all the stories. But we might have never had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And our prayer for you is that each one of you would experience Jesus like never before and that he would change your life just like he's changed mine. As we're coming to this passage today in Luke chapter 20 verses 1 to 18, if you got your Bibles you can open up or turn it on or if you didn't bring a Bible there's a hardback black one in the pew rack in front of you, you can grab that and if you don't own a Bible, please take that as our gift to you because we want every person to, to know the power of the Word. The Word is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. And we want you to have the Word. We want you to read the Word. And we want you to let the Word read you. And that's our prayer this morning. Would you stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word in Luke chapter 20, verses 1 to 18? One day, Jesus was teaching in the temple. And preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us, but by what authority you do these things? Or who is it that gave you this authority? He answered them, I will also ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Verse 5, And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death. For they're convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered, they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the people a parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Verse 11, And he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. Verse 12, And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Verse 13, Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir, let us kill him, so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is, is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. When it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Let's pray. Father, would you help us today to see the words of what we have just sung to you, that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name on Christ, the solid rock we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Father, would you show us any places where we've built on sand? Would you show us any time where we're trusting in something other than Christ alone? And would you help us this morning to repent of that, to turn to you, and to trust in Jesus for a strong spiritual foundation? Father, please teach us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So today, the title of the sermon is Jesus, Man of Authority. Jesus, Man of Authority. Last week, we looked at Jesus, who is tough and tender. And we're going to see him be tough and tender in this passage today. He's tough and tender. He knows when to do that. He is both tough and tender perfectly at all times. And the week before that, we looked at Jesus, the true king. Jesus, the true king. So today, Jesus, the Man of Authority. Now, authority is one of those funny things that a lot of us struggle with. Um, Maybe I'm talking about you, but I definitely know I'm talking about me. All of us tend to struggle with authority to some degree, whether it's we don't like being told what to do, or we like being in charge. We don't like when people disagree with us or or challenge us. Uh, How many of you remember getting married? And there was that, that dance of figuring out who's in charge of what when in the house. There's that struggle of of authority. Children grow up, and sooner or later they're going to rise up and buck against their parents. Did you have a teenager that might have done that? And they buck against their parents, and they're challenging that authority. As a youth pastor, I asked every parent to sign a waiver that says, you're giving me permission to whoop on your child occasionally as needed. They buck up against the authority of parents. And and even maybe sometimes we feel like we can't trust those in authority. Now, I know that, again, that's probably none of you, but those are the things that I struggle with. And so today, as we look at God's Word, we're talking about authority. And authority is a tough thing. Authority is a tough thing. It's something that all of us spend most of our lives fighting for more authority. And so Jesus is asked a very provoking question in this passage. In verse 2, it says this, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who is it that gave you authority? So remember, Jesus is in the temple, and he's teaching, and as he's teaching, Pharisees and scribes and, and elders, they come to him, and they, they wonder, who gave you the right, who gave you the authority to teach in the temple with such a authoritative teaching that you're teaching with who gave you the right to bring to us this kind of teaching at this time in this place well we read the story just a moment ago and i love the way that jesus answers a question with a question has jesus ever done that to you you say god why and in the middle of your question he gives you another question you're like all right never mind He answers a question with a question. He does it in such a a wonderful way. He says, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they 
Can you just picture them? The Pharisees and scribes and the elders who are not normally always on the same page. They're not always on the same team, but they kind of gather and have a, a holy huddle for a moment. And they go, all right, guys, what do we say? Well, we should tell him it's from heaven. See what he says. But if we say from heaven, he's going to say, well, why didn't you listen? All right, all right, all right. Well, let's say that the authority of John, John's baptism was from man. No, don't do that because you see those, that crowd out there? If we say from man, they're all going to stone us because every one of those people hold that John was a prophet. All right, option three. We're going to say that the authority, we don't know where it came from. Good idea. So they break their huddle and they go out and they say, Jesus, we don't know where the authority came from. And Jesus says in verse uh, 7 and 8, it says, And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now that was probably a very frustrating answer to them, wasn't it? Very frustrating. Uh, Jesus, Jesus is not always obligated to answer our questions. Jesus is not always obligated to answer our questions. I just need you to understand that some of your questions that you have in life will never be answered on this side of eternity. Why did that happen? Jesus is not obligated to answer your question. That's tough. Because we want all of our questions answered and I want them answered yesterday. Can I get a witness out there? Am I the only sinner in the room today? (laughs) All right. So instead, as they took the coward's route, they said, well, let's just tell them we don't know. Because then we're... We're not danged if we do and danged if we don't. We'll just say we don't know. And so, as they took the coward's route, Jesus says, well, I'm not going to tell you directly by what authority I have, but I'm going to tell you a parable that's going to reveal two things. My parable is going to reveal to you, A, the source of my authority, and B, the lack of yours. I'm going to tell you why I have authority and why you don't. Now, Jesus didn't say those words, but in the parable, that's exactly what he does. Now, I want you to look at verse 9, okay? It's not on the screen, so you're just going to have to open that big book called a Bible, and you're going to have to read it for yourself. But it says, it says that a man planted a vineyard. Now, I want you to understand that that word planted, uh, we understand that whoever plants a vineyard is the owner of the vineyard, right? He plants the vineyard, but that word plant there is, to also, is also used to instill doctrine, And so that's exactly what Jesus is doing in this parable. He's instilling doctrine. So a man planted a vineyard and he let it out. He lent it. He leased it out to tenants to take care of it. And so when the time of the harvest came, um, he sent the master of the vineyard, sent uh, servants. Hey, go to those tenants. The time of the harvest has come. Go to those tenants and tell them, give to me what is, is rightfully mine. Give to me my portion. Give to me the first fruits of the harvest. You give to me what belongs to me. And if you do that, then we can go on peacefully in this uh, leasee-leaser relationship. So you go to them. And so he sent a servant to go and receive for the master what rightfully belonged to the master. But they, the tenants, they beat the first servant in verse 10. And in 11, they beat and treated the second one shamefully. And in verse 12, they wounded and cast out the third. I want you to understand that all of them are the master's servants. 
All of them are the master's servants, messengers from the master, sent to do the master's bidding with the master's authority. But what did they do? They rejected each one of them. They re- ignored them. They beat, it, beat them. Beated. I'm working on my English. They beat them. They treated them shamefully. And they cast them out empty-handed. They rejected them. Who is Jesus speaking of? Now, Jesus is most likely speaking of a long list of prophets that God has sent to the people of Israel who, um, who when God has been saying, give to me what is rightfully mine. Give to me worship as the one true God. Give to me uh, honor and glory as the God who has redeemed you and the God who has plans for you. Give me what is rightfully mine, yet they have ignored those prophets. But the, the, the tenants in the parable would not give to the master what rightfully belonged to him. And so I just need you to understand in this passage to rebel against the master's words through the hired hands is to rebel against the master's authority itself. In mistreating the one sent, they are in fact mistreating the master. Jesus is saying, God sent you hired hands prophets. You ignored some, rejected others, treated others shamefully, beat others, but you ignored them all. And I want you to look at verse 13. It's up on the screen. The owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? What shall I do? I've sent one. I've sent two. I've sent three. They've been ignored, rejected, beaten, beaten, treated shamefully. All these horrible things have happened to the prophets that I've sent. What shall I do now? Let's just be honest. If it was you or me, we would say, send the army. Sick them. Right? We would. But that's not what happens in the story. I want you to read the rest of verse 13 for me. The rest of verse 13 says, the owner said of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. Now, I just need you to know, if if I'm in that situation and I've got a rent house over here and I send three people to get rent from somebody who owes me rent, and the first one they beat, the second one they rejected and treated shamefully, and the third one they wounded and casted out, and they all come back empty-handed. Guess who I'm not sending? My son. I'm sending the police. Are you with me? But the master in the story says, I'm going to send my beloved son. That makes no sense to our logical brains, does it? But it makes very much sense in the Master's kingdom. He says, I'm going to send my blood, my heir. I'm going to send my firstborn. See, the firstborn in the Jewish uh, culture was the one who everything rested on. The future of the family rested on the firstborn son. The beloved son. And he says, I'm sending my beloved son. See, to send a son is to come oneself. He bears the authority of the Father. He has the signet ring of the Father. He is the heir of all that the Father has, and He is the owner de facto of all the property that belongs to the Father. See, the master of the vineyard tried time and time again to get the tenants' attention so that they would give Him what is due to Him. And if they would have submitted to the master's authority, they could have existed peacefully with the master under his authority. 
with his protection and with his blessing. But they didn't want his authority and they missed out on his protection and blessing. That's not what we see in the story. And in verse 14, we see a plot happen. Hey, I know what we're going to do. He sent his son. He's the heir. We're going to kill him. Because if we kill him, we'll be the heirs of the property. Let's just ask, is there a logical flaw in their argument? That's not going to happen. Hey, we're going to kill the heir, and so the master will give us everything. Wrong. Wrong. That's not how that works. The, it's horribly flawed. And so that in verse 15, the first part of verse 15 They threw the son out of the vineyard and killed him. And then in 15b, it says this. What will the owner... Go back one, I'm sorry. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Verse 15 to 17, Mr. James. What will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Verse 16 goes on to say, He will come and destroy those tenants. And give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. See, they knew. They knew what Jesus was saying, didn't they? Surely not. Surely they're not going to kill the tenants or destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to those who haven't leased it. Surely not, Lord. They understood. But verse 17 says, but he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So the first thing I want you to see is that we are rebels against the master's authority. Rebels against the master's authority. And in this, um, when when they rebel against the master's uh, servants, they rebelled against the master's authority. And I want you to understand that this is our story in our lives. That we have rebelled against the Master. In this story, we are not Jesus. We are not the Father or the Master of the vineyard. Um, We are not even those sent. We are those who have rebelled. And you say, well, whoa, 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 whoa there, preacher. Don't talk about me like that. I don't like being told that in the story I'm the rebel who deserves uh, being destroyed. I don't like that. And my heart and my goal is not to offend you. My heart and my goal is to show you what state you're in apart from Jesus so that you might understand what Jesus can do for you. Because until I see my, the true picture of my reality before Christ, I will never see how much I need Jesus in desperation run to Him. So I want to tell you today, that's our story. We are the rebels. What I'm saying is hard, but it's in love. If you've never seen yourself as a rebel against God or an enemy against God, it could be, in fact, that you are not saved. Romans 5.10 says this, For if while we were enemies who's the we talking about us people who call themselves Christians 
See, Christians understand that before Christ, they were enemies of God. Is that hard to stomach a little bit? If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Before I can receive the salvation of God, I've got to understand that I was an enemy of, his, of God. We are, have rebelled against the Master's authority. It's the first thing that I want you to see. So many times in our lives, we have tried to set up uh, other things in our life or other people in our lives as co-authorities with God, equal authorities where uh, God will have authority over this section of my life and this person or this thing will have authority over this section of my life and we just can't do that. I read that this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 5. How many of you are reading our Bible reading plan with us this morning? 1 Samuel chapter 5, the, uh, the Philistines capture the ark of God and they bring it into their temple, the temple of Dagon, their god, their false god, and they set the ark of the covenant of the one true living God up next to the, ark, or to, the, to, the, to the statue of Dagon, the false god, and they close the doors of the temple and they leave and they go home and in the morning they come back and Dagon is face down on the ground before the ark of the covenant. And they thought, that's weird. So they set Dagon back up because he is a false god who has to be carried places. They set him back up, and the next morning they come back in. And not only is Dagon laying face down before the Ark of the Covenant, he is broken in half, his arms are off, his head is off, and all that's left is his trunk. You want to know why? Because God shares his authority with no one. He will not share his worship. He will not share his glory. We cannot set up anything as an equal authority before the one true living God. So we have rebelled against Him. And that's bad news. But I want to share good news. I want you to see in this passage that Jesus has authority as the Son. Jesus has authority as the Son. So in this parable... Jesus is the beloved Son sent from the Master. Understand that. Understand that Jesus is the one that the Master says, finally I'll send my beloved Son. Perhaps they will respect Him. He, all, all, all the others in the story had authorities as servants in the Master's house, but Jesus has authority as a Son, as an heir. Now I've got a bunch of Scripture that I'm going to fly through and if you want to text me or email me later, I'll get you all this scripture, but I want you to check it out. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3 says, Long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Prophets? But in the last days, these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He created the world. So Jesus is the Son. He has not sent any more prophets, but the beloved Son has come and He's spoken to us through Him. He is the heir of all things. Not just these things, but everything. He, it says, created the world. 
It goes on to say, He is the radiance of the glory of God. When, when you look at Jesus, you see God's holiness gone public. You see the very character of God come to earth. He is the, glory, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. This is Jesus he has authority as a son. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son. Did you see that? That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. You cannot say, I love God and reject the authority of Jesus. John chapter 10 verse 30 says, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. John chapter 14, verse 8 and 9, Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Listen to what Jesus says. Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me? Show us the Father. Do you still not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He is God in the flesh. Matthew 28, 18 says, And Jesus said to them, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Jesus has all authority. Why? As a son, not as a servant. He's not a servant in the house. He's the owner of the house. Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, that him is Jesus, and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in every or in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me tell you something. Jesus has all authority as a son, and I need you to understand today that every knee will bow to Jesus, whether now willingly or later by force. Every knee will bow before the throne. Every knee. So in other words, as we've been saying the past few weeks, you either need to crown him as king of your life, or you need to kill him as a heretic, a liar, a blasphemer. But he can't be both. You can't come to Jesus with fondness. You can't come to Jesus and say, well, I just like Jesus, but I disagree with some of his teaching. I like his teaching, but I disagree with his claim to be God. You can't do that. You can't come to him and like part of him. You've got to take him all or none. We're all in or all out. Or the book of Revelation says you're either hot or cold. You've either got to, because of who I am, you've either got to love me or hate me. There's no middle ground. He has all authority as a son. So what? So what? 
if Jesus is a man of authority, and he has all authority in this parable as a son, not a servant, so what? What does that mean for me? Point number three, you need to build your life on Jesus. You need to build your life on Jesus. We have sung over and over that Christ alone, cornerstone. Let's see what Luke 20, verse 17 and 18 says. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus is quoting Psalm 118. He's quoting it. A messianic psalm. That, they, that Jews would sing on the ascent up to Jerusalem to come for the Passover. They would sing this hymn as they're entering into Jerusalem to worship God. They would sing this line, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And Jesus says, it came true today because you've rejected the Son of Man. And in the days to come, you're going to ignore Him, reject Him. You're going to beat Him. Treat him shamefully and wound him and cast him out. He goes on to say in verse 18, Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken into pieces. When it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Build your life on Jesus. Many of us, listen to me church family, many of us are banging our heads up against the authority of Jesus in our lives. I want you to know that whether you like it or not, Jesus has authority over your life. And, and we can either be uh, like these wicked tenants or we can be those who joyfully submit to the authority of Jesus. We're banging our head. We just can't seem to find peace with His authority. We fall on it, and guess what? It breaks us into pieces. It falls on us, guess what? It crushes us. Either way, we're broken. But listen... A cornerstone was not meant to destroy you. A cornerstone was meant to be built upon. Build your life on Jesus. A cornerstone in that day was the most strategically placed piece in the entire house. You get that piece right in your life, in your house, your spiritual house. You get that piece right and every other piece in your life will be right. You get that piece wrong. If that piece is crooked in your life, everything else is going to be crooked in your life. Let me tell you something. Some of us are going, why is my life so messed up? Why is it so wonky? It's because we haven't built on the cornerstone. All other ground is sinking sand. When this is straight, everything else that follows will be straight. When you build your life on the authority of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of the world, the King of kings and Lord of lords, everything else in your life will be right. He is the most important building block in our lives. How do the, I build my life on Jesus then? I want you to think three things real fast as I close. Three things, three pictures, three pictures today. There is the picture of Jesus. A picture of Jesus so the son in the parable is a picture of Jesus. Jesus was the beloved son sent from the father to those who rebelled against his divine authority. I want you to understand that Jesus was sent while you were an enemy. 
I want you to understand that Jesus did not die for you because you were lovely. Jesus did not die for you because he looked inside of you and saw something good. Jesus died for you despite what he saw in you and me. Come on, somebody. His salvation was never dependent on my goodness. It was always dependent on his grace. He came for enemies. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Glory to God. He didn't ask me to come and get my life figured out. Or he didn't say, get your life figured out and then come to me. He said, come to me and I'll get your life figured out. Get cleaned up and then come to Jesus. No, come to Jesus. Build on the cornerstone and guess what? He'll straighten your life up. It's a picture of the sun. Jesus came to receive the worship that rightfully belonged to God, yet, even though he was an innocent man, he was rejected, beaten, treated shamefully, wounded, and ultimately killed at the hands of tenants who rebelled against God's plan. The Pharisees. There's a picture of the Son. The second picture is the picture of our identity. The picture of our identity. I want you to listen to something. This is what it says. So what we, we learn, the picture we see, Jesus was thrown out of the vineyard so that we might be brought in to the family by the Father. Jesus was rejected by mankind so that we might be accepted by God. Jesus was wounded at the hands of sinful men so that through his, by His stripes we might be healed. Jesus was treated shamefully as an innocent man so that we might not be treated according to our sin. Jesus lost his life so that we might gain eternal life. The tenants rebelled against God and were cursed because they desired what hung on a tree. Does that sound familiar? Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve looked at the fruit of what hung on a tree and they said, we'd rather have this than have you. And they rebelled against God in the garden because they wanted what hung on a tree and they rebelled against God And then they were cursed by God. But we become heirs of the vineyard through Jesus who became the curse by being hung on a tree for us. There is a picture of our identity. I want you to to look. This is not on the screen, but I want you to look in the the passage. I want you to look at verse 9. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants. Guess what? Those people had to pay a price. They had to pay a price to own the vineyard or to work the vineyard. But then after, in verse 16, it says, He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. I want you to see something here. I want you to see something in the passage. Salvation is by grace alone. He let it out to these people, and once they rejected the offer, He gave it to others. We receive the kingdom not because we've worked for it or paid for it, but because Jesus did. We receive it as a gift of sheer grace and grace alone. Nobody has ever earned their way into the kingdom, merited their way into the kingdom. They have never done enough good things to get into the kingdom. We are in the kingdom because Jesus gave it to us. That's it. And that's all. 
Are you alive out there? Isn't that good news? It's good news. The third picture is a picture of abiding. We see the story of the vineyard. And then in John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Abide in me, and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, the beloved Son now has become the vine, and we are the branches. And we bear fruit through abiding in Him. That means if, if I want to build my house on Jesus... I've got to understand that that Jesus is the Son of God who came to be the Savior of the world, that He came to become my identity. That my identity is in Christ alone. We just sang that song, didn't we? And lastly, it's a picture of abiding. He's become the vine, and we bear fruit fruit through abiding in Him. Let me tell you something, church family. If, If you took care of your flowers like some of us take care of our souls, how well do our, or should our souls be nourished? Or our flowers be nourished? How, how well would they... I just messed that up completely. Let me try that again. If you took care of your flowers at your house like you took care of your soul, how would your flowers be? My flowers would be dead sometimes, wouldn't they? Some of our gardens would just die The fruit would die on the vine for lack of nourishment. And spiritually, guys, some of us ignore our souls. We don't abide in Jesus. We don't receive nourishment from the vine. And we bear no fruit because of it. And then we blame God. Why have you forsaken me? And God says, I have not gone anywhere, but you have strayed. All you got to do, if you want the nourishing... Food from the vine. All you got to do is abide in me. Uh, Come abide with me. Just come in. Come stay with me. To abide means to remain. To dwell in. And all you got to do is dwell in Jesus. We die when we're disconnected from the vine. I want you to know, if you can exist in your spiritual life unchanged or experience little difference when you live disconnected from Jesus, it should be a sign to you that you might not be saved. If Jesus makes no difference in your life, that probably means that Jesus has no place in your life. I don't, I, I'm not trying to offend. I'm trying to love you. And I'm just trying to say there's so much more to the gospel of Jesus Christ that we're missing out on. There's so much nourishment and joy and peace that comes from abiding in Him. If I want to build my life, I want, this is my last scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, it says, As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men. He is a living stone rejected by men. But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. See, building our lives on Jesus is building our lives upon the rock. And there's a, a parable about that, that I just got I don't have time for. But when I have when I build my life on the rock. There is peace with God. 
There is protection through life storms. I, I, I said that very carefully. I wrote first, there is protection from life storms. And I said, no, that's wrong. There's not protection from life storms when you have Jesus, but there's protection through them. Jesus never said that you would not experience difficulty or heartache or abandonment or rejection. But he said, in the middle of all of those storms that life will throw your way, when you build your house upon the rock, I will be with you and I will not be shaken. And if you build on me, you won't shake either. And there is blessing. There's blessing building your life on the rock. What kind of blessing? I get to be a servant, a hired hand in the kingdom of God. I get to be a child of the one true king. Doesn't matter what anybody else says of me. I have a purpose. A divine purpose in the kingdom when I build my house on the rock. And I just want to encourage you. Trust in Jesus. Submit to Jesus, the man of authority. Submit to Jesus who is tough and tender. Submit to Jesus who is the one true king. Crown him as king of kings in your life. Trust him as savior. Stop building your life on anything else because all other ground is sinking sand. Today, I just want to ask you to pray. To say, God, search my heart. I can't, I can't convince you or convict you or change your heart. All I can do is preach the message and let God's Holy Spirit do what only God's Holy Spirit can do. But He's not going to force you. So surrender. You'll never regret it. Would you stand with me? Would you pray? Father, reveal to us, please, please, Lord, reveal to some of us who have never understood this fact that we have rebelled against the master's authority. We're enemies of God. There are people in this room who need to see that they are beating their head against the rock. And if they keep it up, they're going to get broken and crushed. That they are running against the King of glory, rejecting Him, and those sent by Him. Father, You have a plan for each one of us. You have a purpose for each one of us. And You want each one of us to know Jesus, the Son. Your Bible says that it's not the will of the Lord that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Father, I I pray for everybody in this room that everyone would come to repentance. Repentance, understanding that they're rebels, but Jesus has the authority as the Son, and that we might build our lives on Jesus. 
Reveal that to us. Show us that Jesus is more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card. That Jesus is the rock. Uh, Psalm 61, I think. The rock that is higher than I. That Jesus is the rock in the wilderness. Oh, man. Jesus is the rock in the wilderness that when you strike the rock, water poured out. The confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Savior of the world, is the rock that the church will be built on. And the gates of hell can't prevail against it. Teach us. Father, show us in our lives what sinking sand we're trying to build upon. What co-authorities we're putting up in our lives. And would all those things fall down like Dagon did in the temple? And would we find our hope, our joy, our peace, our power in Christ and in Christ alone? We love you. We surrender to you. Work miracles in our hearts today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, the altar's open. I'll be right here if you